2: Oh, yeah. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. Like he said, I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. These are my passions. That's what I'm going to do for you. That's why I created Money Making Conversations. I want you to stop tripping over small challenges and rise above the bigger obstacles that life will present to you. My next guest, she's here, Shonda Scott. She's the founder and CEO of. A 360 total concept, which is a portfolio of projects totaling 1.7 billion. You know, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Me tell you, something. you know, 1.7 million, I'm, I'm rocking. I'm rocking now. I'm rocking. When you get to the billion now, I my degree is in mathematics, I start losing count. So I'm excited to talk about how she can remain so calm and in her bio, she can put 1.7 billion dollars, which has included giants such as BET, Uber, Comcast, Kaiser Permanente, Major Trans agencies, major transit agencies, and several international airports. Her vision of creating the premier consulting firm specializing in program management in the areas of monitoring and contract compliance, logistics, and facilities management. 360 incorporates communication components such as public relations strategy, social media, media production, as an added benefit to turning their client concepts into reality. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Shonda Scott.
3: Well, thank you for that wonderful
2: introduction. <laughs> well, one, well, $1.7 billion. Okay, this is a money-making conversation, Miss Scott. Talk to us about being able to put that number in your bio with credibility.
3: Well, those are mega projects, and my firm does work on mega projects mm-hmm. to ensure that not only our company, but other historically underutilized companies are a part of these projects. Most of the projects we worked on are um, voter approved bond projects. So they're $800 million, a billion dollar projects that voter money is paying for. Wow. So then I we feel that it's important that we as the voters and we as supporters are part of those projects. And that's part, ma- mainly our role is to build equity on these types of projects so that More people can have the same conversation (laughs) that that others have had historically, that they are collectively working on billion dollar projects and working on these projects to ensure that there's better participation and there's money for everybody. So that tells you how much money is out there for everyone.
2: It really is. And so when I when I look at uh, I started with the one point seven billion, but I want to I want to back up a minute and talk about you being the CEO of 360 total concept. What exactly is that and when was it founded?
3: So I'm actually a fourth generation business owner. Our great-great-grandfather was a developer after being born into slavery. Well, not great-great-great-grandfather. Born into slavery, became a developer in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado Mm -hmm. in a historically segregated area he built resort homes and we have one still in our family from the 19 from 1920s that he built my great-grandfather um and so that's our family legacy my parents uh owned one of the largest african-american owned food services businesses in the 80s so we have a legacy of entrepreneurship in our family and i'm actually the ceo of 360 total concept but i have 25 years business management experience. I started this company 14 years ago to be a part of the solution. To be a part of the solution that uh, that builds equity not only in the in the communities in California, but nationwide. So the CEO work that I do is part of running my company, but we have multi-mega projects that we also work on and help our clients meet their project needs. Okay, we're talking in infrastructure and in capital programs right. and all that. So a lot of the buildings and rail projects that are in the in this country, we our our team have worked on.
2: Well it's really important that we we slow this down. A break it down because, you know, 14 years and you seem to be ahead of the curve, especially when you see now that diversity is such a big demand now. And so and you've all, your brand has already established, your resume, your bio experience. How has 2020 been for your brand? Being that, I'm saying this publicly, that you are ahead of the curve in your thought process, which is a, a visionary portfolio going in these logistics, going into these uh, management and contractual needs that the companies really demand right now. So that's interesting that you said that about being ahead of the curve. I see it as being
3: blessed Um, and having a level of discernment in areas that you don't even know how you're gonna use it. So this time last year, uh, my company, I I implemented a a work from home remote pilot that we tested out. During the holidays because most of our companies that we partner with and work with around the holidays, it gets it's a little slower in mm-hmm. their businesses. Mm-hmm. They'll take holidays, but we're still doing project work. So I thought it would be a good time for my firm to test out this pilot. It's something I wanted to do, but I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. comfortable because, you know, at that time working remote, you know, how do you make sure that everybody's being productive? Are we going to still be productive? And then if everybody's not doing it, how are our clients going to receive it? So we were able to do it um, for uh, two or three months. And then it worked fine and it was a good it was a good pilot. And then we uh, went and opened up and got into our new office space. And after that, the pandemic hit. Right. And right before the pandemic hit, I talked to my team because I think our people started feeling nervous about coming into the office and I didn't want them to feel like they had to come if it's work that we could still do remotely. So mm-hmm. since we had already, and let's be in a boutique business, since we had already done this pilot, I knew we would be still efficient. And we would also still be productive and we could still meet our clients' needs while still working remote. So before the pandemic hit, I said, we're going to institute back our work remote option. So if if you want to work remote, you can do that. If you want to come to office, that'll be open as well. Well, the next week, our entire state was shut down and our city was shut down, but we were still able to pivot because we had already done this pilot during a time where it wasn't a crisis. So when the crisis hit, we actually were helping some of our big billion dollar business clients pivot as well because they hadn't instituted a work, from a remote, work remote option and the fact that uh, they have such a larger workforce that their right. pivot was going to be much harder. So we right. were able to help them in ways that we weren't helping them before because now, even though we had been using uh, Zoom since 2016 when we had Uber as a client, we had started using Zoom, we were able to start planning and doing meetings and hosting outreach and other engagement meetings that we normally did in person virtually. So thank God for that pilot and that we were able to just pivot through, even though we've had some of our business, um, some of our airport business impacted by the pandemic, the consulting part of our business was able, we were able still to provide services for our clients and even help build more services with them because now we have this virtual world. And since we also produce TV content, we were able to produce the meetings that we need to do actually via Zoom, that is now used as production because of the the pandemic and the social distancing requirements.
2: Really, um, first of all, congratulations. You know, because you. of the fact that that is that is a big turn when you hear, you know, Twitter talk about stay home. Facebook said, you know, we're going to we want everybody to be home with a certain period of their production. Care. Just, just looking at the technical side, the paperwork side, unless somebody out there physically, you know, putting something together, then there is a thought process that they can be productive in an environment. But let me ask you this question, because I saw there's always that undercurrent of, you know, you can work at home, but do you still, how do you manage that person? How do you allow, what are the raise opportunity as far as, uh, you know, their work responsibility, their promotion within the company? Also, do they get paid a little less because of the fact that they're working at home? Facebook has said that. Where are your take on this? Because you deal with these situations on a regular basis and people are asking you these type of questions. Facebook has said it publicly. Look, if you work from home you're not don't expect to get paid the same amount of money if you come to work
3: well 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 i feel like when you start playing that with people's money that's that may not be fair because i think i always believe that you should uh, pay people their worth, right. you know. Like I always say about equal pay. I was like, for women, especially African American women, if you want equal pay, then start your own business because you're going to pay yourself. you <laughs> create. You can create the environment that uh-huh. makes the pay fair. Mm-hmm. So I always believe in, uh, you know, whatever our uh, the the firms, the people that work for us, the teams that we're on. I'm going to negotiate the highest and best for them. That's fair and reasonable. And I think people should get paid their worth. So I I feel like a billion dollar company, they should not then look at necessarily reducing someone's pay. I understand that now if you move out of California, they're starting to reduce your pay because of the cost of living. Because some people are getting on this bandwagon where they're like, oh, well I can get this California pay and then I can move to Nebraska and still, well that almost is a way of kind of pimping the system, right? So like, no, I can understand where you may reduce it to the comparable area that you live in versus you getting paid California rates right. even if you live now moving to nebraska now if that's your business and you plan and you do that that might be a good business move but if you're working for someone and you're an employee that I can understand that strategy is maybe relooking at how much you're paying people because that would be an overcompensation for the work they're doing based on the cost of living.
2: And then just to correct myself, that's what Facebook was doing based on the cost of living in the area that you are in, then you will be compensated accordingly. Like if you're in New York, you might get 90 in Dallas, Texas, where the cost of living is less, you might get 70. I believe that's what they was referencing in the article I was talking about. Let's talk about being a black female and successful black female with a woman of color, the president elect. Where what is that? What is that line yourself up. Why proud are you uh, or does it create a comfort zone? Does it create a, a comfort zone of finally? Because when she said I'm not the last person to stand on this stage and ascend to the White House. What are your thoughts with that being the fact that you've been out there bumping heads, fighting, battling, trying to get respect, getting paid less than even your female white counterparts? Where are you at with that, Miss Scott? I think it was so amazing
3: to see all the pictures of the young girls that were looking mm-hmm. and what that will do to their uh, trajectory and how their confidence and how mm-hmm. that feels like how it's so how important it is mm-hmm. to really see people who look like you in these roles I mean I feel like I've seen my mentors who look like me i worked for an African-American owned consulting firm you know years ago so and my parents had businesses and my a lot of my mentors are look like me they're <laughs> African American women. So, you know, to see a woman of color in the highest position and these young people see that, I think that is, that's the part that fills my heart because I feel like everything that we're doing now is for the next generation. We're planting seeds for their, for trees to grow, for them to sit under. You know, so things that we're experiencing now is. That already happened. Like what we're experiencing now was work done in the past. So the work we're doing now is for the future generations. So what makes me feel good about all all the blessings in this moment is that this is planting seeds for our next generation. And that's our responsibility, because I always tell uh, my colleagues, if the younger generation aren't succeeding, that's our fault. Right. You know, we are their mentors. We are there. We are leaving seats for their for their legacy to build on. So I just get excited to see all the little pictures of the little girls with the with the puff balls <laughs> looking at the moment when, mm-hmm. you know, the election was done. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. all such a beautiful moment for those generations. And just I want to see how they'll turn out and what they'll what life will look like when that's them, you know, 30, 40, 50 years
2: from now. You know, um, I'm going to just tell you about myself, Miss Scott. Um, when I look at you talk about generations and uh, parents who are entrepreneurs and how owning property. And, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a born in the hood. You know, uh, I can remember when I was a kid, we went to a a uh, farm when I was a kid. And, you know, outhouse, I don't even remember if it even exists, but I feel so fortunate to talk to people who family got it, you know, who who understood legacy, who understood value, who understood generational wealth, who understood generational opportunity, I guess I should say, and held on to things that have so much value, but also kind of like set you apart from other people who who the forty acre or the forty acre and the mural opportunity the mural died and the land got sold. Okay, so how does that when you talk about your family open up that where is that at with you from a pride standpoint, from a legacy standpoint?
3: Well, well, I'm I'm happy that they were able to pass down, you know, wisdom and knowledge Mm -hmm. and that I'm able to collect from our family the history and put the pieces together to kind of evolve and paint a picture for my life but it was not without struggle and it was right. not without sacrifice and it's not without loss. I mean, you know, as an African-American in this world, no matter what level of success your family has had through the legacies, you've also had loss. I mean, my great-grandfather was born a slave. I mean, he was, his mom was a slave, his dad was a slave owner and that was his beginning. He had to work to become a developer, he just had right. the vision to do that, you know, it's by the grace of God that my grandmother kept the family, some of the family property in our family for legacy and made a intentional uh, approach to make sure that it stayed in the family and passed down. And now we're able to see that importance. and do it developing measures to pass it down to the next generations. Um, my family was very successful, but there was loss, you know. I mean, they had to figure out ways, and we all had to figure out ways from um, not being able to pass down generational wealth like our white counterparts are able to do, right. like they were able to do when they were owning slaves in past. and passed. I went to the National uh, Historic Museum of Black culture, African American culture in seems- Washington, DC, mm-hmm. and you actually see. Where they bequeath people, African people, from generations, so they gave wealth to their family, even in free labor for mm-hmm. for multi generations. My grandmother's one hundred and two years old in Houston on my mom's side. I mean, and you know, you just think about just in just her life, in our mm-hmm. lives, that was all that generational of free wealth that was uh, was slave wealth. Mm-hmm. So then we now have to build on. Each generation African Americans, even if you're passing down wisdom and knowledge, you may not be able to pass down all that you've had and all that you've gained for five and four generations. I mean that you probably can count the families in the in the United States African American that have done that. But what the blessing is, is that families like ours have passed down wisdom and knowledge right. and the things that you cannot even pay for and the and the ability to learn the best practices and learn lessons learned from whatever they've done. And that part I passed down to my son, you know, so now he'll be like a fifth generation uh, entrepreneur. And then he can continue. So like from our generations to my great grandchildren, we can see that these things will be now we're at a point where the the passing down of wealth we can do, but the generational gap and the racial wealth gap, I mean, is still so vast.
2: Here's it's not even measurable. it's so now vast. Now you let something slip out there. You said Houston, did you say Houston, Texas? Right, my grandmother's lived in Houston for 102 years. Okay, now I'm born and raised in Houston, Texas. Okay? Wow. Fifth forward. So, so you let little stuff slip out. Of your, your, uh, <laughs> your, 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 your young brother, uh cast him and sister, sister back in the day, and now your grandmother lives in Houston, Texas now, right? Right, and my mom was born there. Okay, my mom's cool. from Houston. You need, you need to stop. Casper okay. Gardens High School. Oh, oh, my. Okay, now she probably knows my older sister then. He probably did. Cause, cause I was I was born and raised in Fifth Ward. Oh wow! Which My is Cashmere Gardens, right? Right, all that area. So, so we after then we moved into uh to the northeast side of Houston. So I wouldn't be surprised if we have uh, have connected along the way. Cause Cashmere is where she went to school. She graduated.
0: It's finally here, the season of celebration, and no matter how you celebrate with family and friends.
1: a-T-T-E-R dot A-I. Cashmere. Oh,
2: yeah, she probably
3: does. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, soul, it's a powerful connection, Cashmere right. Garden alumni.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So so with that being said, oh, she should be slipping out this, just to be dropping it. Let's talk about this. You co-host your brother. He's an actor and uh sibling. What sibling rivalry? Talk about that podcast. And why are you suddenly getting in front of the mic and you've been so productive, so successful behind the mic? What, uh, I know your brother, that's how he's made his dollars. You made your dollars, you know, silent, quiet, you articulate, you're beautiful. Why now? Why now, Miss Scott?
3: Well, I had a show for 14 years, it's, it's our 14th year now, called Spotlight with Shonda. And it was why, how I celebrated success that came out of Oakland, California, and mm-hmm. all the legacy and the rich history and the positive stories in front of the camera, but I, you're right, I like being producer and behind the scenes. I mm-hmm. like coming up with the vision and the creativity, but the one sibling rivalry moved me because so many people wanted <laughs> us to start sharing our uh, story about our family, our mm-hmm. legacy. My brother and I have, you know, projects that are based on, loosely based on our family <laughs> and our and different stories in our family. So, the podcast just became like the right moment and the right time to start sharing uh, our just position between me being a girl and him being a boy and us right. being siblings, but right. us being close and the closeness of our family is what people wanted to, wanted to hear about and how it evolved because we always talk about when we were growing up. They called my mom Claire because they talked about our family was like the Huxtables. Like right, we were the right. place where everybody would come and hang out. And my mom was like Claire. She had the Claire attitude. Oh, right, she was professional. Right. She was fly um, and she didn't play. And so, and my dad mm-hmm. was, you know, comedy, fun and professional, but mm-hmm. just really a card, right? Mm-hmm. So we are now sharing the values of our family values and how we were brought up and the importance of that now. But then we also talk about the what sibling rivalry is like, sometimes we don't agree and we have different opinions and we share that too. And we're also been able to have, you know, a celebrity siblings come on the show to talk about their upbringing and how they became successful and how those same family values were instilled in them. So it's just fun. And it's, it's fun, funny, and informative is what sibling rivalry.
2: Well, the thing about it uh, that so many ways and that's that's why I, that's why I admire talking to you because you are head of the curve in a lot of ways where people are and you've been able to manipulate it to a business model. Everything tends to go back to you from an entrepreneurial standpoint. You know you, yes. you look at the model and you say, how can I use this to market and brand and build on my brand or my messaging? And so what is the messaging you're trying to tell us about, you know, your company uh, 360 total concept?
3: So, like I said, I built the, founded the company based on being a part of the solution. So many times you hear about the the racial disparity, the racial disparity Mm -hmm. gap. You hear about how we are struggling as a community. You hear about how we're left out and not have a seat at the table. And I'm always saying, well, let's build our own table and invite people to have a seat with us so the, the buy company is about bringing opportunity to others in a major way you right. know like i said these major bond programs and these infrastructure projects are billion dollar projects mm-hmm. that we have the opportunity to be at the table and participate in the construction area in the consulting area in so many areas on these projects and there's such a vast disparity between how we're underutilized that my company is like the bridge to help businesses that are historically underutilized mm-hmm. actually be able to be a part of these projects and build equity and build capacity so that their firm can be bigger and better and do the same thing for other firms. That's what we really are about. We're about equity and being that bridge of opportunity.
2: You know, the, the, here's the interesting thing about it. And I'm going to just read right here. You know, you're creating a premier consulting firm specializing in program management in the area of monitoring and contract compliance, which is really, 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 that's really, you know, let's put it, when I, when I look at job opportunities, you know, you don't just see a black person think about that as an option, you know, <laughs> monitoring, contract compliance, logistics, and facilities management. Every one of those things I just said, say screams white, screams white opportunities. White people got it on lockdown. How did you, in your mindset, see an opportunity, and how did you get the door cracked open, and then and stay in the door once it closed behind you?
3: So, so my opportunity came, like I said, from African <laughs> American. You can deny women. what
2: I just said, though. You, you, am absolutely telling the truth, right? What you mean? The perception that it is a yeah. white? Well, because like what, what,
3: and that's why I'm not upset about how white men network because mm-hmm. it becomes your network. Like Absolutely. the people, you mm-hmm. know, the people you trust, if you need to call someone who you're going to call the people, someone that you know, as for a reference. So that's what their reference looks like. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we do the same thing for our community. And I've been blessed to have had, black women, including my mom mm-hmm. and other black women business owners, cracked the door open for me. And that's why I feel it's important for me to keep the door kicked open, wide open for <laughs> others who look like me. Right. And like I always say, there's a study in McKinsey that they came out in 2019. And it said that black business success is success for America. Because yes. there's no time in history where we're successful, where we're not inclusive. We're always inclusive. Mm-hmm. So Black businesses doing well, everybody's doing well. So it's important to us to make sure that black businesses are doing well so that America does well. So that's where my the, the, the passion for my company and the passion for the work we do comes from. And it's important that just as people who look like me open doors for me, that I do the same thing. And that's what my family had my brother and i raised on that concept
2: and you know and that's what really is so compelling to hear you talk because when you talk about racism which which really confuses me because being a young man who grew up in a community all i was taught was to uh, to achieve the white lifestyle you know get an education you know to follow the rules you know to provide a lifestyle that's be better than the lifestyle I already have, which means you had to pay taxes, but yet and still racism rears his ugly head. Racism still wants to block you. Racism still wants to deny you your real opportunity or your value in that being that you not only are female, but you're a black female, which means that you get to experience sexism and get to be put in uncomfortable situations because you are attractive and, um, Talk to us about that and and just the, the ability to keep your head up, to keep your head under, uh, understanding that your mission and your goals can be achieved and you have achieved your goals and you will continue to achieve your goals. Talk to us about that. Well, I am a woman
3: of faith, you know what I mean? So, so my spirituality, my faith in God is what really is my North Star, like literally North Star, right? Mm-hmm. Because I tell people I don't see me. Like I'm looking at me on Zoom. I can see me, I see a reflection <laughs> of me in a mirror. But when I walk into the room, I don't know, I'm not looking at me, you're looking at me, right? right so right, I'm right. looking at me from the inside out. Mm-hmm. So I my it's important to me that my internal mechanisms are strong and together. And that looks like nothing. That looks like that's a spirit. That doesn't look like <laughs> one black woman, black white male, you know. Right. So you know, that's the only defense that I have to overcome any obstacles that come my way, Mm -hmm. be it based on race, be Mm -hmm. it based on, you know, my gender, or Mm -hmm. be it based on just, you know, the opportunity. Because sometimes you can be excluded because, you know, you didn't go to the same college someone went to, or you didn't do this the right way, or, you know, you didn't get this education and degree or whatever. But you see how there are people who have succeeded with less than that. So it's beyond just, you know, what people see of each other. And I just feel like I always come from a place of hope, because if we continue to allow how others feel about us become who we are and and define who we are, we will never, you know, amount to all the possibilities God has for us, Mm -hmm. which is beyond anything a man could project on me. Mm -hmm. so i you know and and there's benefits to being a woman and there's benefits i'm glad now that african-american you can you can talk unapologetically about black businesses and supporting black businesses now you know where there were times where you couldn't even say black without feeling (laughs) nervous you know and it's like it's about time because like i said our benefit is going to benefit everyone
2: you know it's really uh First of all, I'm so enjoying my conversation with you because the fact that um, I, I, we've had a lot of similar journeys in the in the um, in the world of relationships, you know. And I firmly believe that racism is often tied tied to placement. I would tell people, you know, decisions are made when people can see you. You have to always keep yourself in the in the line of sight of the decision makers. I always say, if you, decisions are made left, right, and in front. If you're standing behind somebody. When a decision is being made and that's your career path, then guess what? Don't blame that on racism. Blame that on effort. Blame that on positioning. And you said something similar to that in the beginning of our conversation. And when you talk about, I just bought a business in Atlanta, bought a building. First, like I would tell you, I I would, you know, we buy houses, we buy jewelry, we buy clothes, we buy cars, buy the building. It's not something normal, especially for African-Americans or people of color. And so in my Google, they go. If you if you put yourself in Google, they now have a little box you can check if you're a black owned business. That was not there prior to 2020 that you can click and say you are a black owned business. So now being a black owned business suddenly has value and recognition and you are telling the absolute truth. Sometimes there's a black owned business. You didn't want to tell people. Sometimes you might want to let them think I'm white. You know, I don't want to lose no opportunity. Racism might stop me. Racism still might stop me, but at least is allowing me the opportunity to recognize myself and be proud of the fact that I am a black man by purchasing the building, employing people, paying taxes paying taxes in this country and that's important and so when i i shifted that because three things i want to close out talking to you about is the fact that you know uh, black lives matter i want to talk about COVID 19 and your work with barack obama Mm -hmm. So where do you want to start? With, black lives uh, matter. You know, I got you. You know, we're going to go in that order. Black lives matter. Well, you're right. Black lives do matter, and they always matter. I yes. mean, like they said,
3: black lives built this country. You yes. know, we our, our forefathers mm-hmm. were the hands that built the White House. Yes. Where Michelle Obama famously says, you know, she thought about that every time that she was there as our first lady that black slaves built this house, you know, mm-hmm. so Black lives matter and they've always mattered. And mm-hmm. I'm, ha- I'm happy to say that we can say that unapologetically. And I'm glad that that movement stayed with it and became not just a movement, but an opportunity to make black lives understand that they matter. Because yes. us saying it to everybody else doesn't matter if we don't feel it ourselves. Yes. And so uh, the way that black lives turned out at the polls this year and they can see the impact of it is so important to understanding that black lives matter and that we know black as black lives that we matter. Yes. And COVID-19 opened up the door to just show that moment that how black lives have been disparate, the disparity and the impact that we've had in all the bad areas, you know, health disparity, wealth disparity, education disparity. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. All COVID did was give a moment that stopped the world to see a pandemic, to see how it's disproportionately impacting the black lives that are dying at you know huge numbers from this disease. Then at the same time, opened up a door with the moment with jo- George Floyd to see how racism was impacting our lives as well. Mm-hmm. So even in the midst of a pandemic, God is still blessing to reveal things to show how black lives do matter, and that right. we know that we matter.
2: Absolutely. And your work with former President Barack Obama.
3: And President Obama and Mrs. Obama, I will always say, consistently, were the most authentic, genuine, and amazing human beings, but definitely public officials that I've ever seen. And the, and the part about it was, is that they weren't like the Bushes that were generationally raised mm-hmm. to be prepared to be in the White House, Absolutely. but they were authentic human beings. Every time you saw and engage with them, they were the same way. If Whatever you see on TV about them is who they are in person. And that says a lot about a person. I mean, it it made me even double-check me as a person to make sure that I'm always operating at my highest level, that if I'm always in an opportunity to use a platform to help others that I'm doing the same thing, just in the way that they elevated us as a people, Mm -hmm. as a nation, as an entity, in the way they took on the roles and the sacrifice they made for us and they served for eight years in the White House. I mean there is no other moment in life that you could ever feel that much pride and respect the way they opened it up for the world to see how we can operate at our best. And we know it, but to know how they then reflected that in the roles that they were in, because they could have come in in any way. They were, they were president. They right. could have been, you see how you can act anyway. You got the power <laughs> and the control, you do whatever you want, right? right. They use that for the good and the betterment of all human beings, and they continue to do that. So just, just amazing to have seen in this lifetime that happen. Yep.
2: It's just a blessing for all of us to see uh, in our lifetime, which we thought I know for a fact, I thought I I, I would I'd share this story, which I remember I, I got an opportunity. Steve Harvey and I was in the Ellen Reed uh, penthouse and they were doing a fundraiser for uh, President Barack Obama. I remember Jay Z was there, Beyonce mm-hmm. was there and everything. And and um, Steve asked me, he said, uh, what do you think? I said, he never win. not with a name like Barack Obama because I didn't feel this country with his race baited personality, which we've seen so much done during the run of Donald Trump. I'm going to call him Donald Trump, because what he's done as a president has been a disgrace for our country, for for me to. And I I told my friend Stephen A. Smith, I said, man, look, I said he got to lose. I can't I can't get out of my I can't go down the street wondering if somebody can just drive by me, drive by me, and feel they have a right to be able to abuse me because he's now the president because he's, mm-hmm. he's given the right to say that I have no value. It's not about a job. And sometimes when you make money, you have to make sacrifices. You know, I'm willing to pay taxes if it's going to enable a person who has less opportunity than me to live a better mm-hmm. lifestyle. Because we see what's happening now. You know, they're playing lives with these no stimulus packages. Nobody has time to talk about it. They should get $200 a month, $200 a week. Oh, they should get $600 a week. Oh, they should get $300 a week. When people are able to say that and dismiss you like that, Miss Scott, that lets you know that this country has a long path. Uh, of, of racism, of, 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 of discrimination that is beyond just being people of color, but just people in general. And it's becoming a caste system. And to see you and as, as profound, as articulate, as wonderful. I'm, I Believe me, you, I'm a fan of yours. Uh, this is the first time we've officially uh, spoken. I hope you stay in my life on my platform, Money Making Conversations uh, in 2021 and the years beyond, because you have a lot to say and you articulate it very well. And I want to appreciate you being the CEO and founder of 360 total concept coming on Money Making Conversations.
3: Well, I just thank you for this platform because historically we have been afraid to talk about money um, as an African-American community. Mm -hmm. So you have this platform to tell and share people to share the importance of money making and it's okay. And that we need to make money to help our community, so yes. don't be afraid of it. Okay. And to share all the success that people have had, I, I appreciate you for using your platform in this way.
2: Especially, it's, it's, all it's going to do is bless our community. Okay, cool. I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. If you want to hear more Money Making Conversation interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald, I am your host.